0: This is Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. Fiction and nonfiction, graphic novels, and more, we are here to help you find something great to read. Hello, and welcome. To Books and Nachos, the Venganza media podcast about all things in print. I'm Stuart in LA, and we have reached the seventh chapter in our ongoing Philip K. Dick book series, which runs concurrently with the NowPlayingPodcast.com's movie retrospective of all the works Hollywood has made of Philip K. Dick. A Scanner Darkly is the latest period work we will read. It was published in 1977, but actually was written throughout the early 70s and and completed for the most part with a lot of outside help in 1973. It's 220 pages, so it's also the longest thing we've read. It's a special one. Up to this point, I've been treating Philip K. Dick strictly as a science fiction writer, albeit a great one who had the foresight to articulate the ways that uh, modern man's identity has been fragmented by technology. But here, that fragmentation is not really technology science fiction based. Sure, this is set in a futuristic 1990s where the people can wear holographic disguises and have high-tech surveillance equipment, but really, this is a reflection on the drug culture of the 1960s that Philip K. Dick was coming out of and trying to dry himself up out of. I, I feel like this is the work that Philip K. Dick... He finally crosses the threshold to being the writer that he aspired to be. I think he always saw that the science fiction stories that he wrote were selling out. It was kind of a shameful thing for him. He wanted to be a beat generation writer. He wanted to be in thought of in the caliber as Allen Ginsberg or William Burroughs, Jack Kerouac, the writers that wrote about the counterculture and really defined youth rebellion in the 1950s and 60s. That's what he had been hoping to do all of this time and did write a, a few quote-unquote straight novels that were more closely in spirit with them before that, but never had had much luck publishing them or, or getting them read. He was known as a science fiction writer up until a scanner darkly, and I think this one changes the reputation. And I'm not sure what a science fiction fan will make of the story, but let's take a look. Our main character is Bob Arcter. And you heard me right, that's Arctor. Although it sounds an awful lot like actor, doesn't it? And I don't think that confusion is unintentional. Our protagonist is an actor. He is someone pretending not to be someone he is not. But the question will always remain, what's the pretense and what's the truth? We're led to believe at first that he is an undercover narcotics officer named Fred, who is living in a house with a bunch of burnouts, taking a very lethal psychotropic drug called Substance D that is highly addictive and The slang name is death because you really do just spiral down into depression and madness if you stay on the stuff too long. He's hoping by hanging with this crowd and more specifically buying larger and larger quantities of substance D from his girlfriend, Donna that he is going to complete his assignment and be able to return to his wholesome family life because that's what he believes. He is Fred, a wholesome family man. But I got to say, we don't really know too much about Fred. And the more the story goes on, he seems like the fantasy. And Bob Arctor, the junkie, seems to be the reality. And it doesn't look like it's going to end up as a happy ending. That's exactly where Philip K. Dick was when he wrote A Scanner Darkly. Uh, his marriage had collapsed at the beginning of the 70s, and he was living in a house with street people with bad drug habits and kind of messed up lives and was a witness to all sorts of sordid little tales. And I think that the stuff that he witnessed and saw, both the funny stuff and the dark stuff, that's what this novel is. It's less a narrative and more a collection of of moments, uh, fragments And it should also be said, before he finished the novel, he was committed to a psych ward and was going through all sorts of paranoia about the government breaking in and stealing his paperwork. And then he wasn't sure whether it was the government or really himself and that he was possibly schizophrenic. And so you can see all of this playing out in the novel. It is a story about paranoia, about not trusting yourself, about feeling overwhelmed and frightened by your own addiction and not knowing when you and if you can stop. It also feels like a testament, maybe a defense, but certainly a eulogy to all the friends that he lost while lost to the drugs. When I hear the word scanner, it makes me think of David Cronenberg. I don't know if anyone's familiar with his movie Scanners from the early 80s, but it's kind of a pulpy story about psychokinetic people that can make other people's heads explode if they concentrate really, really hard. I think Cronenberg was a fan. I I do think he got his the name of his movie from Philip K. Dick, but those scanners, that's not what's in this novel. I always assumed it was for some reason that scanners might have been based on this, but it's not. Scanners are simply referring to the spying technology the police have. They've tricked out Bob Arctor's house with all sorts of infrared scanners so that they can know what's going on. They believe that Bob Arctor is a bad guy and that they want their informant to get him. They don't know that their informant is Bob Arcter or rather plays Bob Arctor in the house. And so you get lots of paranoia about this guy who is very aware that he is being watched and will have to watch himself do the things he's doing now later in the police department uh kind of trippy, and and certainly very Philip K. Dick to have that kind of quandary. Uh, also, he's taking more and more Substance D, as I mentioned, and that's making him crazier. It makes the two lobes of his brain um give conflicting information, so he can experience something on the couch talking to friends and play it back and see something entirely different. There's a segment of the story where he sleeps with one girl because Donna won't put out, his girlfriend won't put out, and then when he plays it back even, it looks like Donna in the bed. And that's all a a consequence of him becoming more and more addicted to substance D. I think there's a really good passage. I'm just going to go ahead and read it because I think it sums up so much about the paranoia and what was going on. It, it comes later in the novel as Bob Arker is reflecting on how he might be perceived. What does a scanner see, he asked himself. I mean, really see into the head, down into the heart. Does a passive infrared scanner like they used to use or a cube type hollow scanner like they use these days, the latest thing, see into me, into us? Clearly or darkly? I hope it does, he thought, see clearly. Because I can no longer, because I can't any longer these days see into myself. I see only murk. Murk outside, murk inside. I hope for everyone's sake the scanners do better. Because, he thought, if the scanners see only darkly, the way I myself do, then we are cursed. And that's pretty much the quandary for much of the novel, is the fact that you have a man who knows he is being watched. And ultimately the story takes on a cosmic quality. I mean, you can't not think of being watched and judged without thinking about God and the whole Christian notion of someone sitting up there watching everything you do and judging you and, and potentially punishing you for your sins. And I think that the story ultimately sort of reaches these uh, ramifications the, the crazier and crazier he gets. I mean, they make a great metaphor, uh, out of the fact that um, a certain character named Charles Freck is being plagued by bugs. He is further along than Bob Arctor in his addiction to substance D. He is what Bob Arctor could become if he doesn't get off. And he's seeing bugs in his hair. He's seeing them all over the place. He eventually even kills himself because he can't get the bugs off of him. Well, That's very much like Bob Arctor's situation. Uh, His house is bugged. (laughs) They're electronic bugs, but he's surrounded by bugs everywhere, and none of his friends can see them or know that it's there, and he can't convince them that they're there. And the more that he lives in that house being watched by his cop self later, the more, the more drugs he takes, he becomes more crazy and paranoid. And you fear that he might end up like Charles, like killing himself. You, you don't think that it's headed towards a good place, even though there are many moments of, uh, gallows humor and dark comedy here there it's not all depressing and 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 strung out nightmare a lot of it is funny i think philip k dick has always had a good sense of humor and in his best stories it comes through here it does particularly he can see the lightness of it but it is a dark dark comedy and ultimately we know this will come of no good um Yes. So as Arctor is reporting on himself and seeing different things, he's also being tested by different branches of the police force who basically conclude they don't know who he is, but they know he's a a substance D abuser and they're going to take him off the case. Well, that sets him off even more. It's like, if I can't watch myself and someone else has to do it, what will they see? And if I'm detoxing somewhere else, they'll know that Bob Arctor is not home. My whole cover will be blown. And the madness spirals further and further until basically uh he gets put into a detox center. And... There's a lot of ironies that come up in the end where Donna, the girl he was trying to get substance D from, is actually an undercover cop who kind of puts him in there with someone else as a way of finding out whether this detox center is actually the people that grow the the blue flower that is actually creating Substance D, that there's a theory that the people that pretend to get you off Substance D are also the people that get you hooked up to Substance D. And there's a lot of that kind of back-and-forth paranoia, that your friends are your enemies, they are your friends. It's a loop. And Philip K. Dick ultimately makes a lot of metaphor as well about reel-to-reel tape and the loop of how you can start somewhere and go a different place. I mean, reel-to-reel was... Kind of how it was it was the most concrete proof you could have back in the day before there were really portable video cameras before there was you know good recording of documentation it was cassette that was really how reporters worked that was really watergate I mean that was how how it was done and so Philip k dick envisions a cosmos that's like one big tape recorder with One person constantly being rewound and fed forward. And and that's kind of how he was feeling. I mean, someone else that he meets in the detox center um, ultimately describes their life as a burnout, as being very much like one of these scanning devices, one of these scanners. They say that's what it means to die, to not be able to look, to, to not be able to stop looking at whatever's in front of you. Some damn thing placed directly there with nothing you can do about it. Such as selecting anything or changing anything, you can only accept what's put there as it is. And so you really have this vision of people that can only survey their lives. They're watching their lives unfold for what, in front of them, but they don't feel they have the control to change anything. That is what it is to be burned out, to be surveilling yourselves, to be a, a substance addict. And it was probably how Philip K. Dick felt in writing this novel, taking the testimonials of what he saw and not being able to change it. The, the novel actually concludes with a very sobering author's note. It's actually my favorite part of the whole story in which Philip K. Dick tries to explain why his friends ended up the way they did. Not defend. I don't feel like there's a, it comes from a moral place. I don't feel like this is an anti-drug novel or a, an excuse for why it went bad for them. He describes the drug culture as being kids playing in traffic and that they know it was dangerous, they knew it was risk, but that's what made it fun. And that if there was a sin involved with their fun, it was that they tried to do it forever, that they were wanting to be happy forever. And what harm is that? I mean, essentially what he says is, if that's our crime... The punishment was far too severe, and that he rattles off over a dozen friends that died or were permanently scarred by their addictions, and even mentions himself and his deteriorating pancreatic damage that he had done because he was addicted to uh, prescription and non-prescription drugs, and ends with a very sad but hopeful note of hoping that his friends uh, can play again in some other way and be happy in another dimension, um. I know I probably just made this novel sound like it's a real pill, but it, I, I've got to say Skinner Darkly is, is not all dark or rather some of its darkness can be enjoyed a, as comedy. And I do appreciate the balance struck here. I, I don't have a, a, a history of personal drug addiction. I didn't relate to the novel that way. I think that if someone has has struggled with demons they're gonna see a lot of themselves in it and I think that it will probably touch them more personal but I really appreciated the trip that it took me on and I really felt like I got to see philip k dick beyond all of his science fiction trappings uh, really making a grand statement and this may be his greatest novel I don't know i i he's written over 40 books and hundreds of short stories I've only read seven of them so it would be silly for me to say that this is his best but I can and see that it is definitely his most mature and his most heartfelt, and I really appreciated the opportunity to see it. If you head over to nowplayingpodcast.com, you can hear my thoughts on the movie as well as Brock and Jacobs. Um, we're taking a look at the animated movie Richard Linklater made of Scanner Darkly. I guess it would be 30 years after it was written. We're going to continue on. Our next segment is The Golden Man. It's a short story. We're headed back into the 50s. We'll be looking at that next week. It's the source material for Next, the Nicolas Cage action movie. I think it'll be a little bit lighter than The Scanner Darkly, and certainly a whole lot shorter. Thanks for joining me. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of this. And we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Books and Nachos. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can catch back episodes at our website, booksandnachos.com. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at podsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is copyright 2010, Vinganza Media Incorporated.